first chapter of the book of Romans. Romans is a great book. Talks to us about our salvation. Talks about to us about what salvation is all about. How we can be right with God. And you'll notice the little graphic on the screen behind me. You know, salvation is all about being rescued by God. And that's really what that's a picture of there. You got a fellow that was on the wrong road. He was on the road away from God, heading the wrong direction. And you see some of the trappings of his lifestyle laying around him money and pornographic magazine and alcohol bottles and things like that, credit card. And uh, one of the things you don't see on that road, you don't see a ladder for him to climb. You don't see a ramp for him to go up. What you see is really a picture of our salvation in that God reaches down and picks him up. That's what salvation is about. Salvation is not about you and me making ourselves acceptable to God. It's not about us finding our way to God. It's about God rescuing us. Salvation is by God's grace through faith. It is not by works of righteousness that we've done. We're going to be exploring that great theme for probably several months now as we look through the, uh, the book of Romans. And just to help you appreciate a little bit, we find that uh, Romans is a very, has had a great influence in the lives of many, many people. In A.D. 386, there was a man who was a professor in Milan, Italy. He had grown up in North Africa. He had a Christian mother and a pagan father. And by the time he's living as a teacher here in Milan, he is uh, living a rather promiscuous, ungodly lifestyle. But because of his mother's upbringing, it's troubling him. He's very guilty about what's going on in his life. He's distraught over the wickedness of his promiscuous and unrestrained lifestyle from, from which he couldn't, he couldn't break free. He couldn't find forgiveness. And as he's disturbed by this, sitting in the garden of a friend, he hears some children singing next door in the, in the street outside. And, and the song there sings, a little child, children's song from back then. It says, take up and read, take up and read. And he looked on the bench beside him, and there was a, a scroll. It was a, a, a book on that scroll, and he began to, began to read it. And as he, he read it, the first lines that caught his eyes said, Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. He wrote later on, No further would I read, nor did I need to. For instantly, as the sentence ended, by a light, as it were, security infused my heart, all the gloom of doubt vanished away. The man was Aurelian Augustine, who upon reading those few short lines saw that in Jesus Christ was his hope, and only in Christ was his hope, only in a relationship with him. He put his faith in Christ as Savior and Lord and went on to become one of the church's outstanding theologians and leaders. And the lines that he read were Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. Almost 12 centuries later, in 1513, there was an Augustinian monk who was teaching Romans, strangely enough, to students at the University of Wittenberg in Germany. He was convicted by the phrase in chapter 1, verse 17, the just shall live by faith. 
And he was troubled by the expression in verse 17, the righteousness of God. He writes, I I greatly long to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans. And nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the righteousness of God. Because I took it to mean that righteousness whereby God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing the unrighteous. Night and day I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us by faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of Scripture took on a new meaning. And whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This message of Paul became to me a gateway to heaven. This German monk was Martin Luther. And his recognition of the fact that that God makes sinners righteous and right with him through faith in Jesus Christ alone gave to him his assurance of salvation and also became the seedbed of the Reformation that swept Europe and even affected our country. We find in 1738 an unsaved Anglican clergyman went reluctantly to a, a meeting of Moravian refugees on Aldersgate Street in London. He was a graduate of, the, uh, of Oxford University where he was part of a religious group called the Holy Club, a group of men that, that wanted to live right, to stay pure, to live clean lives, but struggled immensely. Uh, he had done a stint as a missionary uh, to the Indians of North America. But he returned home to England disillusioned and in despair over his own spiritual condition. He had no peace or assurance of salvation. He worked hard to live a religious life but had no peace or assurance of forgiveness. In fact, he said, I went to America to convert the Indians but asked, who shall convert me? At the meeting on Aldersgate Street, someone read for Martin Luther's preface to his commentary on Romans. And this individual writes, about a quarter before nine, while the reader was describing the change wherein God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warm. I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, And an assurance was given that he had taken my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. That dissolutioned and unsaved missionary was John Wesley, who went on to lead a great revival that transformed England in the 18th century and also had an impact on the colonies in North America. It's estimated that Wesley preached 40,000 sermons and traveled nearly a quarter of a million miles on horseback, preaching the good news that had brought him salvation at that meeting on Aldersgate Street. He, he, was, he was changed from one who was seeking to be religious and do right into experiencing the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of a holy and righteous God who makes those things available to us purely through repentance towards sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, There is a tremendous power in the message that God revealed in the letter to the Romans. 
and uh, th th this book of Romans has had some connection with, with almost every revival and reformation that's come along the way. And book of Romans has also had quite an impact in my own life. When I was in college, my dad got a transfer, and we moved from the Pittsburgh area to Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and they, my folks got involved in a church there. Uh, Carl Elgina was the pastor, and when I came home from school, I found that he was preaching a systematic series of messages on the book of Romans. It was my first exposure to expository preaching, where he just kind of worked through and, and teach what, what's, what's there, teach what's in the biblical text. And as I heard him open the book of Romans, what an impact it had on, on my own life. It helped me to understand God's great salvation that I had received as a child of about seven years of age, but didn't really have a full appreciation or, or really a very good understanding of either. It helped me to gain a solid assurance of my own salvation and my security in Christ. As I learned about the book of Romans, it caused me to more fully appreciate the salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a book that I love to teach, a book that I love to preach, a book from which I am constantly drawing applications for my own daily living as a Christian. The book of Romans can have a similar impact on your life as well, and I pray that it will. If you can get a grasp on, on the book of Romans, You'll have a wonderful understanding of the salvation that God gives to us by grace through faith. And I pray you'll have a greater appreciation of what God makes available to you, what God's done for you, and what God wants to do for you. We find that there are, are many others who've had some very powerful things to say about the book of Romans. John Calvin said, when anyone gains a, a knowledge of this epistle, he has an entrance open to him to all the most hidden treasures of Scripture. Martin Luther said, Romans is the chief part of the New Testament and, and very purest gospel. William Tyndale, who was involved in translating the Bible into English, said this epistle is the principal and most excellent part of the New Testament and most pure evangelion, that, that is to say glad tidings, that we call gospel and also a light and a way unto the whole scripture. Godet called Romans the cathedral of the Christian faith. Coolidge said it's the greatest and richest of all the apostolic works. Gordon Clark said it's the most profound of all the epistles and perhaps the most important book of the Bible. So by the commentator by the name of Hamill said that it's the greatest book in the Bible. Well, with those things being said, do you suppose that a study in the book of Romans is worth our while? I really believe that it is, and I pray that God will use it in each of our wives in each of our lives to give us a greater appreciation for God's salvation and for God's Savior, the Savior that he provided in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find that uh, one of the things that makes Romans such a tremendous book is the, the authorship of the book. Like all the other books of Scripture, we find that the author of Romans is ultimately the Holy Spirit of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, we read that all Scripture is is God-breathed, it's inspired, and it's profitable for doctrine and for rebuke and for correction and for instruction in righteousness. It's given to us that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The author of the book of Romans is the Holy Spirit of God. 
The author of Romans is God. It is God revealing to us there how we can be right with him. And there's nothing more important in your life now and for all of eternity than being right with God. To be right with your mate is a good thing. To be right with your parents, right with your children, right with your friends is a good thing. But to be right with God is the supreme essential. And God tells us in Romans how we can be right with him. How we as sinners can be right with a holy and a righteous and absolutely pure God. How can that happen? God tells us about that in the book of Romans. We find in 2 Peter chapter 1 that, that holy men of God were moved along by the Spirit of God. And that, that all Scripture that we have is, is God revealed, God given to us. It's not the product of, of any particular man's imagination or man's ideas. Now, God did use the Apostle Paul uh, to pen the book of, of the letter to the Romans. And he, he writes it during his third missionary journey. We'll talk a little bit more about Paul in a week or two, but uh, just a couple of main points. Number one, he'd been a persecutor of the church, right? He, he was a, a very, very religious Jew. He was a Pharisee, but he blasphemed the name of Christ, and he persecuted the church. But Jesus Christ got a hold of him on the Damascus Road, and, and he came to see Christ as being his Savior and went on to, to live out his life and even faced martyrdom and went through martyrdom for the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he, uh, he had never been to Rome, but he wanted to go to Rome. He'd heard about things in that church, and he was hoping to go there on the way to, to Spain, to take the gospel to Spain. And even as he writes to the Romans, one of the concerns he has is that the, the full message of salvation be given to them. They're, the church wasn't founded by Paul or any other apostle. It was probably founded by perhaps even some Jews that had been in Pentecost, at Pentecost uh, in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit came and the church began. And uh, others found their way to Rome. Other Christians found their way to Rome. And the church was established. But he wanted to make sure it was established in the truth, that, that there was no errors, that it was firmly grounded in the truth of salvation by grace through faith. And so he writes this marvelous treatise that gives a great description, a great revelation of really what salvation is all about. We find when we come to the main theme of the book of Romans, uh, take a look with me at chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, where it says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Two tremendous truths there. One talks about the righteousness of God, which is the theme of the book. How, how you and I can have the righteousness of God. Luther gave testimony to the fact that when he thought about the righteousness of God originally, to him it was a, a, a bad thing. It was a dangerous thing for him because he thought in terms of the fact God is righteous, and Luther knew that he wasn't righteous. Even though he was a monk, even though he was religious, even though he was a teacher, he knew that, that he was still a sinner. He, he knew that he was still far from God. 
And if God, the, who was righteous, was going to act properly towards him, Luther knew that it meant for him judgment. But the thing that thrilled Luther was when he got to studying the book of, Revela- the book of Romans, was the revelation there that you and I can have the righteousness of God. We can be right in the eyes of God. What an amazing thing. God wants to give you and me as sinners his own righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the theme of the book, that we can have the righteousness of God. And how do you get it? We're told here that that, 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 to be righteous, we get it by faith, not by works. If it's going to be by works, when, when when will we have done enough works in order to get right with God? Yet we find in this great epistle that God gives us his righteousness as a gift, offers it to us as a gift that we can receive by faith. And and there's a great satisfaction in being right. I don't know about you, I like to be right, don't you? I even like to be right when it comes to picking who's going to win a ball game. You know, it's kind of nice to be right. Uh, right now, it doesn't look like the Tigers are going to make it to the World Series this year. Um, I'd like to not be right on that, but uh, I probably am going to be. We, we like to be right. But the most important thing, as we mentioned a moment ago, is being right with God. What's God's evaluation of you? Does God think you should come into heaven? Does God think you should live in fellowship with him and relationship with him through all of eternity? What does God, what's God's evaluation of you and me? Somebody, somebody, well, you can't know that until you die. You've got to wait until you die, and and then you find out what God thinks. Isn't that a little bit late? You know, if if God doesn't think much of us, that would be too late to do anything about it. The good news is we can know now that we're right with God. That's one of the things Romans is all about, as well as other passages of Scripture that we've given to it. We can know that we're right with God. And what, what a glorious thing. And for Luther, it thrilled his soul. For Augustine, he found out that he, even though he couldn't break free from his promiscuous lifestyle, that, that by putting his faith in Christ, God could break him free. God would give him forgiveness, and God would also give him victory over the sinful lifestyle that he was living if he would put his faith in Christ. John Wesley, who lived such a religious life, but yet never really found assurance, never really found peace, never really was sure that he was right with God, when when he got a hold of the fact from the book of Romans, it's a gift that God wants to give to you. It thrilled his soul, brought him salvation, assurance, peace, and forgiveness, and a message that he could use to turn England upside down in the 18th century. And a message that, that came through and over here to America with, with thousands of, of, of Methodist circuit riders that took the gospel to the frontiers all over the colonies and the United States of America, telling people the good news. Here's the good news. God will rescue you. You can't rescue yourself. That's the bad news. The good news is God will rescue you. He's provided a rescuer. That rescuer is Jesus Christ. And we need to come to the place in our life where we repent of our sin and put our trust in Him, and He will rescue us. He will deliver us. He'll take us off of that wrong road that we're on, and He'll put us on 
the right road. What a glorious message. That's the main theme of the book. Is there anything more important for you to get nailed down in your life than whether or not you're right with God? If you're not right with God, you're in big trouble. Real big trouble. If you are right with God, we can look at everything else in our life with a different perspective. That's why Romans has had such an impact in the hearts and lives of people. Because it tells us how we can be right with God through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find when we look at the book, here's the overall uh, overview of the book. There, there's three main divisions in the book of Romans. Chapters 1 through 8 we call doctrinal. That's where we get teaching about who God is and about who man is in God's sight who Jesus is, what God's done for us, what we need to do in order to have the righteousness that God wants us to have. It's all doctrinal. And, and it tells us about the glorious salvation we can have through what Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. And wonderful promises there that God really causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him. A wonderful promises that that. No matter what we face in life, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus in this life or forever. Tremendous promises. Chapters 9 through 11 are something we might call dispensational. Say, what in the world is that about? Well, basically, I used it because it's got a D in it, and I'm not the first one to do that. A lot of other commentators have done the same thing. But what it's talking about is the, the matter of Israel and promises God made to Abraham. You see, what happened is when Jesus came, he was rejected by the Jews. And the Jews who had been the focal point and the center of God's program throughout the Old Testament era are now presently in this church age, they're set aside. And God's not working first and foremost through Israel right now. He's still working with Israel, but first and foremost, he's working with the church. And when a Jewish person puts faith in Christ... They're brought into the church. One of these days in the tribulation period, God's going to start working through Israel once again after the rapture of the church takes place. But, but the question is asked, well, okay, if Israel's set aside right now, what about all the promises God made to Abraham and to Israel that haven't been fulfilled yet? This one, God told Abraham and Israel, I'm going to give you all the land from the river of Egypt to the river Euphrates. That's the Euphrates to the Nile. Israel's never had that much territory, not even in the glory days of David or Solomon. Well, is God, does God keep his promises to Abraham and Israel? He hasn't completely fulfilled them yet. And if he doesn't completely fulfill his promises to Abraham and to Israel, how can I know he's going to fulfill his promises to me? Well, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 basically uh, reinforces the idea that God's not done with Israel. God is going to completely fulfill all of his promises to Israel. In fact, we're in a glorious point right now because for years commentators and Bible students would come to this portion of the book of Romans and they kind of scratch your, their head because there was no Israel. There, there were Jewish people, but they were all over the earth. They, they were integrated in this society, in that country, in this place over here, but there was no nation of Israel. Well, guess what happened in 1948? Israel became a nation once again. 
for the first time since 70 A.D. when the Romans drove them out of their homeland. God's not finished with Israel. And one of these days, the kingdom that he promised to, to, uh, to David and promised to the Israelites, it, it's going to be, it's going to come to pass. They will have all the land that God promised to Abraham. Uh, all the nations will be blessed through Abraham, just as God said they would be. God's not finished with Israel. He does keep it. He will keep his promises to Abraham. God will keep his promises to Israel. And you know what? God will keep every single promise that he's given to you and me. Aren't you glad for that? Man, we don't have to worry about whether God's going to keep promises or not. God keeps his word. A lot of other people don't keep their word. God always keeps his word. He doesn't lie. We can count on him. The last section of the book is the devotional section, or it's about practical application. Uh, chapters 1 through 8 are about believing, uh, what we need to believe, uh, what, what kind of a salvation God wants to give to us. Chapters 12 through 16 is, is all about, okay, if we believe, if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, How's that impact my life right here, right now? You see, salvation is about getting to heaven. But salvation and a relationship with Jesus Christ is not just about getting to heaven. It's also about the way we live our lives right here and right now. And the good news is, through Christ, we can have victory over sin. Through Christ, we can live a Christ-like life. If we break the this down a little more detailed fashion you find in in the doctrinal section the first three chapters are about the need for salvation the need for righteousness and uh, Romans starts out and it, it shows us that the the pagan man who worships the creator cre creature rather than the creator who, who worships bugs and crawling things and trees and intimate objects. He's a pagan. He needs to be, he needs to be made righteous. The uh, moral man who tries to live a good life and thinks he's doing a pretty good job because he looks around at other people who aren't doing as well as him, he needs to be made right with God because although he may be better than people around him, he's not perfect. He still falls short of the glory of God. In fact, what do we read in Romans 3.23? We have all, we all sinned, come short of the glory of God. If you're going to get into heaven on the basis of your own works, you know how good you have to be? You've got to be absolutely, sinlessly perfect, and there's not a person in this room or outside of this room that can qualify for that. We need God to give us forgiveness, to give us salvation, to give us His righteousness. So, and... and it also points out in that section that the Jew, the religious man, not just the moral man, but the religious man, the Jew, needs God's righteousness. Being religious isn't good enough. Being Jewish isn't good enough to get you into heaven. We need God to give us his righteousness. In chapters 4 and 5, it talks about how God provides righteousness. He provided righteousness to Abraham. Abraham believed God. And God counted to him for righteousness. We find that he was justified by faith. It goes on, talks about David. And how David believed God and trusted him. And David was, was saved by faith, basically. God's plan has always been salvation by grace through faith. 
the Old Testament's not salvation by works, the New Testament's salvation by grace. It's always been salvation by grace. Faith and, and, and faith in God's provision. God's provision now is the Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification in chapters 6, 7, and 8 talks about righteousness uh, experienced in our life. As we, we not only are guaranteed heaven, but we also are freed from the dominion of sin, that we don't have to live as slaves to sin. We don't have to be addicts to sin. To sin in general or any particular sin, God can give us victory over that through the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we get into chapter 6, 7, and 8. Uh, once again, dispensation, we talked about that. That has to do with the righteousness of God rejected by Israel. They're set aside right now, but Israel will be restored one of these days to the center point of God's program. Justification. Oops, let me skip. Yeah, there's sanctification. There's a uh, matter of dispensational. God's promises are vindicated. Uh, we have the church age now, but Israel will be restored. And just as God will always keep all of his promises to Israel and to us, we can depend upon that. We find that lastly, in the devotional section, we, have to, we see righteousness, the righteousness of God, practiced. We need to be right with God. And when we are right with God, something happens in our lives. Flip over to Romans chapter 12 for just a moment. On the basis of all that's said in Romans, in the first 11 chapters, here's an exhortation. You've heard about how to be righteous with God. Hopefully you become right with God. You know that God keeps his promises. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, based on all that's come before, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That's what we read about in the early part of Romans. God's mercy. Thank God for his grace, whereby we are given what we don't deserve. Thank God for his mercy, where we are not given what we do deserve. Exhorted by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then it goes on through the rest of the next several chapters and shows us what the will of God is for our lives, the way that we go about living in, in a, basically, a Christ-life fashion empowered by Christ and the relationship that we have with him one of the things you find as you go through the book of Romans is it's all about pointing us to Jesus Christ we need his righteousness in fact the way that we get into heaven is because we're given us the righteousness of Jesus Christ it's amazing that we find that that Christ took our sins upon himself as he died on the cross of Calvary and he gives us his righteousness. That's the most unfair trade that's ever taken place. But you know what you call that? You call that grace. And when he gives us his righteousness, we are justified. We're made right in the eyes of God. And what a thrilling thing that is. We need to be right before God. It's possible for us to be right before God. And we can practice being right with God in the way we live, live our everyday lives. 
and there's a connection between belief and behavior and when we talk about belief you know what we're talking about we're talking about belief in the lord jesus christ and we're not just talking about well believing he existed that he was born in bethlehem that he died on the cross we're talking about putting our trust in him that's saving faith that's what we're talking about that's what romans is talking about that's what the scriptures are talking about coming to a place where we personally put our faith in Christ and Christ alone. Not Jesus in the Baptist church, not Jesus in the Lutheran church, not Jesus in the Methodist church, not any church, but a trust in Jesus Christ alone for the righteousness that only He can give to us, that we can have by repenting of our sins, seeing that we need God's righteousness and receiving it by faith in Christ and Christ alone. Romans is a great book. Why is it such a great book? Because it points us to Jesus. It's all about Him. It's all about knowing Him. It's all about having His righteousness. It's all about living for Him. It's all about serving Him. It's all about looking forward to one of these days seeing Him when He comes to take us to be with Him in glory. Heavenly Father, thank You for the truths you've revealed to us in the 16 chapters of this great letter that Paul sent to the, to the Romans. Lord, we thank you for the way that it points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray if there's anybody with us this morning that they're here for this service, but maybe they don't know Christ. Maybe they're religious. Maybe they've been part of a church. Maybe they've been christened or, or dedicated or, or received some form of baptism earlier, but they've never come into a faith relationship with Christ. Help them to see that it's all about that. All about surrendering our will to Christ. Taking Him as our Savior and our Lord. And Lord, you make that possible for us through your grace and through your mercy. Lord, if there's anybody here that's never trusted Christ as Savior, I pray you draw them to yourself this morning. Help them not to trust in anything. No church, no religious works, but trust in Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness and the righteousness that only you can give. And for every Christian that's here, Father, help us to appreciate the Lord Jesus, what he's done for us, and the wonderful salvation that he gives to us freely by his grace. Help us to so appreciate it that we live our lives in a way that's glorifying to him and a way that will touch others with the gospel as well. We pray this in the Savior's name. Amen.